Wonderful. Well, a warm good morning to you. It's great to be together this morning and to be reading on through Luke. It's been a, uh, an exciting series that we've been exploring together. We've listened to Jesus telling stories and we've met different people who have met Jesus. And this morning is one of those mornings where we're going to meet somebody who meets Jesus. You could describe this um, passage with these three words. Um, the first is to see, to see. The second is to die. And the third is to live, to see, to die, to live. That is this passage as we go through it. And of course, this is a metaphor. These are metaphors, picture, language. And you might think, ah, I see. It's not really seeing. It's something a little bit lighter than seeing. It's not really dying. It's something a little softer than dying. It's not really living because we're alive. It's something just a little bit, well, that's a picture. But actually, this passage, if we really think about it, it is about seeing things as we've never seen them before, as though real sight is the metaphor for really seeing ultimate reality. That is what this passage is about. And die? Well, this passage, somebody doesn't drop dead as we read this passage, but we realize there's an invitation to lay down, to surrender, to give up everything we hold on to, as though death, where our heart stops beating, is actually only a small picture of what this passage is describing, dying, where we say, no, God, you are the name above all names. I'm living for your glory by your power now. And then living. Well, living is glorious, isn't it? Walking in this morning, and yet living this passage as it speaks about life, we realize that actually our life that we experience now is only a faint kind of picture of the life that we're invited to as we read this passage together. This is about real life, bigger than we've ever experienced it before. Now, we're reading from Luke chapter 18. And we're reading verses 18 to 30. And I was thinking, well, what could we call this passage? And we've called it the man who had everything. The man who had everything. So we're going to read it little by little as we read through this passage, just a few verses at a time, as we realize that it's about seeing, it's about dying. It's about living real life. Seeing, dying, living. So, the first part is about seeing. To see. So let's read just verse 18 of chapter 18 of Luke's Gospel. It says this. A certain ruler asked him, it's Jesus, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We'll stop there and we'll read on again in a moment. Now we find out here about the character who is walking into this story. Now this, it's not a parable this time. We've had some wonderful parables. This is a, a real person who's not in a story but who is 
coming to Jesus today. And it says that he is a ruler. He has some kind of responsibility. He's a ruler. And if we read on, if we just slide down a bit to verse 23, you might want to run your finger down or you can read it on the screen. It says also, he was very wealthy. This is a a wealthy man. This account of this person meeting Jesus is described in each of the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so to get a wider picture, let's glimpse back across into Matthew. We could rewind back through the New Testament. You can read it on the screen if you want to. It, the passage is Matthew 19, 16 to 30, but we're going to zoom in on one verse. It's verse 20. It tells us another interesting detail about him. It just describes him there as a young man. So he's a ruler, he's wealthy, and he is young. This is the person who is meeting Jesus today. He is a ruler, he is wealthy, and he is young. Now, in our culture, we would look up to this man. We would see him as an influencer. We would see him as somebody who has power over our culture. We would see that person with their money and we'd be impressed. We would see them with their youth and realize the life ahead of them that, wow, these people are going to, this person's going to turn everything upside down. They're a ruler, they're wealthy, and they're young. So this is the character who is running into our story as we read together this morning. And as he enters the scene, he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when I read that verse, before I turned to the other passages, I thought, perhaps this guy is quite arrogant and proud, you know? He's walking up to Jesus and he's saying, hey, what must I do to have eternal life? Because I can do it, whatever it takes. But actually, if we rewind to Mark's gospel, there we find some interesting details the whole passage is Mark 10, 17 to 31. But in verse 17, we read this, that he ran up to him in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10, and he fell on his knees. That is the position of this rich, young ruler, the man with the power and the money. And the man with the youth, he comes up to Jesus and he's on his knees. He's run up to him like a child. And he's now on his knees in front of Jesus. And he's asking this big question. What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is he looking for? He realizes there's something more to life than he knows. He realizes there's something bigger than what he's experiencing so far. And he's longing for it. He realizes that there's some kind of transcendent. There's some kind of God who is there. And he isn't connected with him in the way that he would long to be. And he sees Jesus and he runs to him. And he comes on his knees. And he says, what must I do to, to be connected? To know this God who is there. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Is the way that he puts the question. 
And as we see him on his knees and running up, there's a kind of desperation in his voice. There's a kind of deep longing for something as he comes. What is he longing for? You know, we meet some interesting characters in our own cultures. And uh, he's grown a bit of a beard. You might not recognize him, but it's Jim Carey. And he said this, I think everyone should get rich and famous. And you kind of lean forward and say, Jim, why is that? So that they can see that it's not the answer. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? He is a man who is rich and famous, not so young now as you can see. But he is saying, look, if only all of us could realize and experience this for a, a brief moment or for a longer moment, we would realize it's not the answer. I don't think he claims to have found the answer. But what an interesting thing to say. Or a, a sculptor from two centuries back, and she says, Camille, there is always something missing that torments me. What a thing to say. Perhaps you are here this morning and you're saying, look, I get that. That resonates with my heart too. There's something I'm longing for and I don't know what it is. I don't know who it is. And here's our friend. He's come running on the scene. He's on his knees. He has desperation in his voice and he's longing for something. And Jesus continues in verse 19. He says, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. What an interesting conversation. Here is this man on his knees in the dust before this, well, carpenter's son. And this carpenter's son is speaking to this rich, young ruler. And he's saying, interesting comment about good. And they have this conversation. Well, Jesus wants to awaken in him. What is it that he has seen in Jesus that causes him to call him good? He's not just saying, hey, he's a good bloke. There's something more profound about what the man is saying about Jesus. And Jesus can hear the, the tone of this, this man's heart. And he says, why do you call me good in the way that you're talking about good? Only God is good. Only God is good alone. And perhaps the man in the dust is thinking, yes. Perhaps he's awoken something in his heart. What is it about Jesus that is so unique and beautiful and good, God-like about him? And then Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. We've just read it. And here he recites five of them. He says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not lie or give false testimony. Honor 
your father and mother. These are such beautiful and honorable and wonderful things. Revealed to the people of Israel on the mountain as, they, as God met them at Mount Sinai. And it's, it's shaped their culture to a degree, but it's also shown them what real goodness is. And it's beautiful. These commands aren't wrong in any way. They're wonderful and beautiful and glorious. And if they're influencing your life this morning, that's a wonderful thing. This man, as he kneels, perhaps he's getting a glimpse of his of his own heart. Somebody described to me something that they experienced. It was a kind of, it was a dream in, the, in their sleep. And they kind of dreamed that in some way they had seen something of Jesus. And this person said, you know, I used to think I was a really good person until, until I experienced a, a corner of his presence in that way. And I realized, well, just how good he is and how I am not. Perhaps this man in the dust is seeing something of his own heart. Perhaps he's seeing something of, of God's goodness, his cleanness, his set-apartness, his holiness. And of course, he's here. He's looking at Jesus. And he sees Jesus here. The man who had everything, inverted commas, he's starting to, to see something. It's as though layers are being peeled off his heart. And he's starting to see things as they really are. His own heart, the holiness of God, Jesus here. What does it all mean? How does it shape everything. Let's read the next part. We called this part, die. We called this next part, die. If you remember, in verse 21, this rich young ruler has said, all these I have kept since I was a boy. As he looks back through those commandments of not committing adultery, not murdering, not stealing, not lying and honoring his father and mother. Jesus could have gone through other commandments. If we were to rewind back into the Old Testament this time and have a look in Exodus chapter 18 and verses 2 to 3, Exodus 18, 2 to 3, God begins to give the Ten Commandments by saying this, I and the Lord your God. And he says in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's read on. This is verse 22, back in Luke chapter 18. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. 
sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The man on his knees in the dust, the rich young ruler, would have said, yes, I do lack something. And Jesus says to him, sell everything, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven then, and then come and follow me. You see, Jesus can see this man's heart, as Jesus can see your heart and my heart. And he sees how we set up different priorities in our hearts, and how we make something or someone or some ambition more important than he is. But back there in Exodus 18, 2 to 3, the principle of being connected to the one who is the, the God of heaven and earth is that we have no other God before him. He is the most important, the number one, the top of the list, the priority. You know, some of us, we can so easily, all of us perhaps, fall into the thought that Christianity is something that we do occasionally. When we pop in to meet with other people, we also are involved with the badminton club and bowls and we walk the dog. It's all different bits of our life. But if we listen to Jesus, we realize that isn't what Christianity is about. Following Jesus is about everything. It's about him being the top priority. How everything else falls into place underneath that. And if we're not living in that way, we don't have anything at all. In that sense, Jesus calls us to die, to lay down our lives. It's not a gentle message, is it? It's a, the biggest call, the biggest claim that could ever be made. As Jesus, claiming to be God here, is saying, lay everything else down, lay your life down. That I would be number one, he's saying. This conversation began as the rich young ruler was asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, his answer after this conversation is, follow me. How can I connect to the transcendent? How can I be in relationship with the God who is there? Follow me, Jesus is saying. But as he's going through this conversation, he's showing what it means to follow him. Now I ask myself, am I following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? What's the story in your heart? Your priorities? Where are we? Is he... Number one, or is he just an extra, just tagged on the side of your life? In which case, if we're living like that, we don't have anything. So what does the man do? Let's read verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sad. 
because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The rich young ruler, he hears this and he realizes that he's, he's longing for that, but he doesn't want to let go of this. He's dreaming of that, but he can't quite release this. And there's a conflict in his heart, a conflict in his soul. Perhaps you have that kind of conflict as we're reading this passage. And it makes him sad because he's looking at this and he's thinking, I long to be connected with him. But I can't let go of what I've got. I can't change my priorities to that deep a level. And Jesus, in another of the Gospels, it says, Jesus looked at him and and he loved him. Do you know, Jesus looks at you this morning and he loves you. And he says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And in verse 25 he says... It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Some people have tried to say, well, perhaps that's a metaphor for some bit of architecture. It's not. It is simply this. You know how it is when you're trying to thread a needle. I kind of, I've got a button came off of my shirt and I'm trying to, just get it through the hole and I'm um, calling favor to give me a hand. I'm putting on my new glasses, trying to see and trying to get it in and struggling. You get one of those things to stick through and pull it through. It's very hard. And Jesus is saying, well, you think that's hard? Try getting a camel through the eye of a needle. It's not going to be easy. And uh, because a camel is very big and a needle is very small, the hole is tiny. Struggle with a thread, you're going to struggle with a camel. It's meant to be a funny picture. And so, in verse 28, verse 26, those who heard asked, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Who can experience this rescue? Now, they're surprised because in their culture, they saw things like this. If people were... Well, like our culture, everyone kind of measures and looks at each other. As you pull up in a car, they think, hmm, yes, quite rich, not rich. People are thinking like that all the time, and they were then. And so people are kind of going, yes, okay, fairly wealthy, not wealthy. But in their culture, they had an added dimension. They thought that if you were not wealthy, that means that you are not righteous, You aren't blessed by God. You're kind of diminutive, small in the eyes of God. But if you're wealthy, well, then you're you're cool, you're good, you're righteous, you're in, you're in the in crowd. And this person, well he's well he's as wealthy as it gets. And so they're looking at this man's wealth and they hear Jesus say that somehow he's not got a a free pass into heaven and their whole worldview is blown upside down and they're thinking, well, what could this mean then? If, If the rich one who is blessed by God in our understanding can't get into heaven, who can be saved? But Jesus is trying to turn 
their thinking on their head. You know, it's easy for us to fall into that same kind of theological position. To think, you've got cash, that means you must be good in God's eyes. You've got resources, it's because God thinks you're wonderful. It's an upside-down way of thinking. And it's so easy for it to sneak into even our own conversations. But it's a wrong way of thinking. And Jesus is saying, look, it's, it's, it's impossible. This is what he says, verse 27. What is impossible with man is possible with God. He's saying, look, no one can be saved. No one can be connected to the transcendent. No one can be in relationship with God. It's impossible. But it's possible if God intervenes. It's impossible with man, but it is possible with God. It's impossible for you to know God without God's intervention. It's possible, though, because God has done something to draw you to him. You could draw it like this. You know, as the man sees his own heart, and he sees God's holiness, he realizes there's such a gulf, such a gap, such a chasm, and he can't reach across it. But as he sees Jesus, and as he sees Jesus here, perhaps those listening, perhaps us this morning, as we tune in as well, we realize that Jesus is the one who reaches across that impossible gap. Jesus is the one who bridges that gap. How does he do that? If you come here regularly, you'll be hearing often how Jesus, he died in our place, gave up his life so that we could have his life, took our death so that we wouldn't have to. The biggest exchange, the biggest swap that's ever taken place in history as he died on that cross for us. It's only by God coming here in the person of Jesus that that this rich man or you or me could ever know the God who is there. Know the one we long for. It's because Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead that you and me can have a relationship with God. It is impossible with man, but it's possible with God. Peter pipes up and he says... We have left all we had to follow you. What a testimony. He says, we've left it all to follow you. This middle part of our exploration through this passage is talking about dying. And how we are called to die. Not the death where our heart stops beating, but something deeper, bigger, more radical than that. And that is where we lay down our lives and say, God, I want your life power to live through me, something that can only happen because Jesus died and rose from the dead. And Peter says, we've left it all for you, Jesus. 
And the last part of this passage is about living. Not the living of walking in this morning, but the living of life in all its fullness. As you and me, we connect with the God who is there because of his kindness and grace, not because of the things that we do. This is verse 29. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus, as he speaks about life, he says no one who has given up things, made sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom of God, reordered their hearts because of Jesus, made God God and taken away everything else that pretended to be God. No one will be sorry that they did that. If you are a husband then you are called to love your wife and lay down your life for your wife. So what does this mean? Well, Peter, he's on a long journey and his wife, whose mother had been healed right at the beginning of Jesus' interaction with Peter, his wife has been left home and he misses her because he loves her. In the same passage, it's talked about not committing adultery. So it's not about some spiritual way of excusing some wrong behavior like that. But it's talking about a man who is missing his wife and saying, I'm missing her. What about that? Later on, we find Paul talking about Peter, how Peter takes his wife with him on missionary journeys. But here, it's talking about the reordering of hearts that says, God you're number one, and I'll lay down whatever, it, whatever you ask me to, to live for your glory. Well, if we live like that, we'll receive great blessing. And we'll receive eternal life. The whole theme that began this conversation in the first place. So here we are. How about you? What are you holding on to? What are you making priority? What am I making priority? That means that God isn't the number one in my life. There's some great books over on the bookstool. And uh, do grab some. There's some to really enjoy there. A book called, an old book called God's Smuggler talks about how to catch a monkey. Just a useful thing at the end of our morning. So apparently you take a coconut, you cut a hole in it, and uh, you drop a stone inside. And uh, once you've dropped the stone inside, the monkey comes in, um, comes into the scene, and uh, reaches through the hole, and after finding something jiggles around inside, reaches in and holds onto the stone. But then the monkey finds it can't pull its fist out and so it's sitting there trying to pull its fist out and you want a pet monkey and you come across and the monkey just won't let go of the stone and you just pick it up and you've got your pet monkey if ever you need that tip there it is but the reason that that 
story is in the book, God's Smuggler, is because it's a picture, it's a picture of our own hearts. You know, I find something that delights me, that excites me, and I can hold on to it, not realizing that this is becoming a trap, a snare, something that is going to result in me losing my freedom. And I hold on to it as hard as I can. And Jesus is looking at this man who's kneeling in front of him, and he's saying, look, you're holding on to something that's going to destroy you. You've got to let go. You've got to let go. You've got to make God God. Him, number one. That is what life is about. That is how you're going to know what life is, how to connect to the transcendent. So we've read through this passage together. And here we are. The Holy Spirit spotlight is on our hearts. And we're wondering, so, so what? What changes? You know, we're being called as we read this to see, to see. To see the reality of the things we hold on to that are such cheap trinkets in comparison to the glorious connection with the God who is there that we're called to through Jesus. To see our own hearts. To see God's holiness, to see Jesus who's come here. We're called to die, lay down our lives, to make him the number one. We're called to experience life, life in all its fullness. You know, perhaps some of us this morning are just for the first time catching a a glimpse of what our own heart looks like before the God of heaven. And perhaps this morning we're catching a glimpse of his holiness and his goodness and we are realizing the chasm that lies between us, the gap. If you're realizing that, that's a good thing. Tomorrow night, Christianity Explored begins and there's space And Dan is going to be leading it. And it would be so good if some of us this morning said, look, I want to go on that Christianity Explored course. I want to explore for the next six weeks on a Monday night. You just come on the first night. If you enjoy it, keep coming. It's captivating stuff. And as you continue through, you'll realize... The message of the Bible is that God has come here in the person of Jesus. He's died on the cross for us so that we could experience life. So that we could live. It might be even this this morning you're saying, look, I've been walking with Jesus a long time. But I see how actually I'm not walking with him at all. Because there's other things that are priorities in my life in front of him. And this morning I want to die. I want to die in the sense that I want Jesus to be number one. I want to lay down my life for him so that I would really live. Let's pray as we close this morning.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can read this account of this young, rich ruler. We thank you for the way you want to shake up our priorities. You want to turn our lives upside down. We realize that that can be a very painful thing. But it's the most glorious thing. And this morning you're calling us to see our own hearts. You're calling us to see the holiness of God. You're calling us to see Jesus who has died in our place. Some of us are seeing this for the first time. And you're calling us to die, to lay down our lives, to stop holding on to cheap things when the God of heaven is there, ready for relationship with us, who's provided a way for that relationship by Jesus' death and resurrection. You call us to die to ourselves. And you call us to experience life in all its fullness, filled by your Spirit, washed by his power, as we heard as we began this morning, renewed, given rebirth by his work in our hearts. We don't want to leave here the same this morning. We want to leave here changed by your power working among us as we see, as we die, as we live. We worship you, glorious King Jesus. Amen. Amen.